If you'd open your, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians, chapter 6. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we come before you this evening, Father, as always, we ask that you would give us the help and the aid that we need, Lord, to be able to understand fully what your word says. We also ask, Lord, that you give to us a very strong desire, a hunger for your word and a, and a desire, Lord, for your word to shape our lives and to shape our thinking. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to enable us to think biblically about everything in our life, every relationship, every circumstance, every event. That, Father, we may not only live a life that pleases you in every way, but, Father, we are the ones who are the recipients of blessing if we live that way. We will be the ones, Father, who have a great sense of satisfaction. We will begin to experience contentment and deep joy. So, Father, we ask that you would help us with this. That, Father, we may understand and that we may live. Again, we thank you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. When Paul writes this, in the same way that he did not allow his culture or the culture that he was living in affect his statements and his commands to husbands and wives about their relationship with each other. Remember, we went through a lot of the background of how women were viewed or how wives were viewed, and it's not a very glorious one. They were viewed as property. They were viewed as individuals who didn't really have any rights. Uh, the husbands really did not pursue a relationship with their wife. Uh, they would usually have three women to kind of meet different needs, um, and uh, they would trade them out, so to speak, if they didn't like what was going on. Women just didn't have much of a say in what was going on. And yet Paul still talked about women and how they needed to be submissive to their husbands. Now, he also gave the command to the husbands, which is a new thing for most of those men, as to how they were to treat their wife and how they were to feel about their wife. And uh, that all of that was honoring to the Lord. So he really were, he was giving them, in a sense, a very new ethic one they, did, they had just never heard of before. But he didn't back down on those things. He, he went forward and explained to them what it is that God was expecting them to do. And the same thing when it comes to children. Uh, there's an expectation that as believers, um, parents will parent in a particular way and children will behave in a particular way. And the relationship between the parent and child will be one that is marked by certain uh, attitudes and really obedience to the Lord in how those relationships are approached. The idea is, is that uh, for a child, one who becomes a believer, that there's an expectation that they also will live a life of a believer who is being led by the Spirit of God. Uh, yes, we give room for the fact that they are continuing to grow, to mature, uh, but there is still this uh, understanding that if they are believers, they are to live in obedience to what the Word of God has to say. When it comes to the relationship of uh, parents to children, how, how parents, uh, parents, so to speak, and the dynamic that exists there, 
Uh, in our country, we've kind of gone through a, a lot of different extremes uh, and periods of, of peaks and valleys as far as interest in that. Uh, in the 70s, uh, there began to be a greater emphasis on parents really being Christian parents, overtly Christian parents. Before that, people were moral. They tended to be conservative in churches. Uh, kids, uh, it wasn't true in every single case, but there was this idea that they really weren't to ask questions. They were to obey uh, all authority. Sometimes it was even promoted they should obey blindly. Um, they were to accept what the parents believed almost without question. And that was not a good thing uh, that was going on. And so there was a shift. Uh, that shift was led uh, really by a return to teaching from the word of God and what I had to say. And in the midst of all of that, that's when James Dobson became very, very famous. Uh, through the, his radio show, uh, he began to delve into understanding kids, understanding the effects of culture on kids, how Christian parents are to respond uh, he had a lot of different guests on through the years, uh, made people aware of various changes in laws and things that were going on in schools and in government that would affect the family. He was very, it was very pro-family. And so there was a very profound effect uh, on Christians in the Christian church. Uh, there was a few problems along the way. I think uh, he introduced too much psychology. I'm not against all psychology. Psychology can give us a lot of good information. Uh, but he began to... Uh, somebody would, would give advice based more on psychology than they would on what the scripture says. And that, that can begin to run into some problems uh, when there's a conflict with the two. But there was, there was a good thing there with that. Uh, but then along the way, uh, when you have the homeschooling movement, which began, which is not a bad thing, it was a good thing. Um, it doesn't mean that every Christian should homeschool their children. Um, there's just a lot of different opinions, and I think there's a lot of right answers when it comes to that. But as there, as there began this movement towards homeschooling, there began to be a, a kind of a withdrawing from society uh, by some groups, and I don't think that was, was healthy either. And as that took place then, um, because the door had been opened, more and more psychological ideas began to infiltrate the church, and the church began to experience the same kind of problems that the world had almost to the same degree, and that is that there was a greater strain between moms and dads, there was a greater strain between kids and their parents. Um, parents became much more concerned about the way their kids feel about them as parents and began to pursue maybe friendship. Um, there was just a lot of difficulties began to come out of, out of all of these things through the years. And so there's just been a lot of confusion, almost to the point to where now, again, we're at a point where it's not an unusual thing for a lot of different reasons, where the Christian parents need to have more instructions about, well, what does the Bible say about how you can be a Christian parent? Because they don't know. They have no idea. And just in general. It's not every single one. Uh, part of that is because it wasn't modeled for them. Uh, but uh, so there's a problem. And as a result, we have a, there's just a, a growing problem of rebellion. Rebellion you know, takes a lot of forms. It doesn't mean the kids are out rioting or that they're you know, burning their house down and that type of thing. Uh, but when I say rebellion, there is a consistent turning away from the Lord uh, that's taking place within Christian families. And that's problematic when that happens. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for that. So we want to make sure that we're always careful not to assume we know why someone's kids have uh, rejected the Lord in their life. 
You need to be careful with that because um, you, you may not understand all the reasons why. And there's usually many. At the same time, with that, what we need to be aware of as parents is that uh, we also have, we are also responsible for some of that. You know, our kids didn't grow up in a vacuum. Whether we were good or bad, we were the number one influence in their life. And we know that perfection is not a requirement to be a good parent um, because if it was, God wouldn't let us have children. But we also have to take responsibility for those things as well. So this is a whole mishmash of things uh, that's really gone on. And so we have just a lot of problems uh, that we really shouldn't have in churches. And people are kind of floundering and trying to find a way to, uh, to resolve those. Let me give you uh, some background information, just a little bit. This, uh, there, there was this attitude that, again, that was taking place there during the time of Paul as far as how most individuals approach their children. Uh, the fancy word, which is the title of the message, which is Patria Potestas. Um, and basically what that, what that was about was the Roman father had absolute power over his family. That was the main basis for that. Um, I have seen in some circles, in some Christian circles, um, there's been a claim that in trying, that we need to try to return back to just what the Bible says in the way we handle our families. In some circles, it actually has a whole lot more in common with this than the Bible. And that, you know, the idea is that uh, if you, there's certain catchphrases or certain um, phraseology that's, that's used that can help maybe alert you to that. And there are some that move into this area. They don't know that's what they're doing. That's what takes place. But the most common one is that, your, uh, that for a man, his daughter is under his authority until she gets married. Now, by itself, that's not necessarily a negative statement. But there are those who believe that it's some kind of an absolute, that no matter what her age is, they don't say it this way. There's, there's not the intent, I don't think, that she's unable to think for herself, etc. But there's a real big push that her father is, I guess you would say, her protector and all these different things in her life. He has absolute say and dominance until the right guy comes along. Now, I do believe the father is to be a very big influence, absolutely. Um, he's always going to have a position uh, in his children's life just because he's their father, and I have no problem with that. But this idea that's stressed that you know, the father is absolute in all these things, and that, that actually leans more towards Roman history than it does the Scripture. And that's why we want to make sure that we're, we're thinking about, well, what does the Scripture actually say? Uh, because there are certain areas where, they, where, where individuals will stress certain things, and you're not going to find it in the Bible. Um, and we need to be aware of that. So back to this idea, this patria um, uh, uh, potestas. A Roman father, again, had absolute power over his family, which meant he could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could punish as he liked, and he could even inflict the death penalty. So a, a father that was a Roman citizen, if he decided to sell some of his children as slaves... In that culture, no one looked down on that. If he had a son that he was displeased with, for whatever the reason, and he had him killed or he killed him, he would not be arrested for murder. Because it's not murder if you have a right to do that. And that's how he was viewed. That's the kind of absolute power uh, that he had. Further, the power of a Roman father extended over the child's whole life. So long as the father lived, a Roman son, in a sense, never came of age. Even when he was a grown man, even if he were a magistrate of the city, 
Even if the state had crowned him with well-deserved honors, he remained within his father's absolute power. So the great mistake then consisted of the Roman father considering the power which nature imposes as a duty on the elders of guiding and protecting a child during infancy as extending over his freedom involving his life and death and continuing over his entire existence. Again, it's true that the father's power was seldom carried to this limit. When you read through Roman history or those who write about this period of time, you don't have a lot of fathers who are at least openly in stories acting this way you know, using their power in this manner, but it was still there. And that was the, that, that idea was what their society was built on. So again, there were no real limits uh, to that, uh, what the individual did. In fact, he was probably held more, the father would be more held in check by public opinion than anything else. In other words, if people would think bad about him, there would be certain things he wouldn't do. Um, but that, was, that would be where the restraint was. There was also, uh, you may have heard of this, there's the custom of what was called child exposure. Basically, in a Roman family, when a baby was born in the family, the child would be placed at the father's feet. If he picked the child up and lifted the child, that meant that the child would be allowed to live and live in his house. If he just turned and walked away, that meant he refused to acknowledge the child, and and then several things could happen. The child could be literally thrown into the city dump, uh, there was a pretty time when sometimes children were dropped off at the Roman Colosseum and people would come by at night and pick them up. And people who would come by at night and pick them up could do whatever they wanted with them. So they would sometimes pick them up and sell them as slaves uh, or they would go pick them up and put them in a brothel uh, to serve there. All kinds of things were taking place. And again, this, is, this was their culture. Uh, that's what individuals did. So there was always a risk that a baby could be repudiated, could be exposed. Uh, And so with all of this, you know, we have this passage here where Paul talks about children obeying their parents and honoring their father and mother. So even though you have these very negative things taking place in the culture, Paul still wants to establish this is what God says. This is how these things are to be done. And so the two words that are key there is the word obedience and honor, that kind of sums up the distinctive duty of a child to his parents. Uh, Let me read to you several different verses. I think I have all the references listed for you in the notes, so I'm just going to go through them quickly, uh, since there's quite a few of them. Leviticus 19.3, Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. What is interesting there is sometimes throughout the Scripture, when certain things are coupled together, sometimes that can be significant, sometimes it may not be significant, We want to make sure that we don't read too much into it. At the same time, we don't want to ignore it. I think here, uh, in this passage, it is interesting because the Jews held up the keeping of the Sabbath as being an all-important thing. They were consumed with that. And on that level was also this idea of reverencing a mother and a father. So that relationship was, was held in very high esteem. Deuteronomy 21 If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gathering of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear of it. Now I asked my friend Arnold Frutenbaum, if this had ever happened, did he know of any instance where this law was invoked and they, a parents took their child, which um, 
Apparently here, he's not necessarily just a seven-year-old because he's guilty of being a glutton and a drunkard. So he, he might be, you know, an older teenager. Uh, but nonetheless, were any of them brought to, where the, the, to the elders and then found guilty and they stoned him to death? He said no. He said not that he knows it. He, says, he, says, he said that doesn't mean that some shouldn't have been. He's just saying that it, that, that didn't take place. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I guess we could say that every father elects to spare his own son. Uh, at least that's, that's the norm. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8, hear my son your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs chapter 6, my son observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Uh, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. So as we go through these, you'll see over and over again that there's a, a responsibility that's placed uh, really on the shoulders of the, of the parents, of both mom and dad, to teach their children the right way, to teach them how to live. That's really what they're getting at here. That when, when, it, when we talk about the teaching of the commandments of God, it's not just a teaching where they memorize a list of commands. Now, that doesn't mean that that's excluded, but it's more than just that. It kind of takes you back to um, a passage in, in the Matthew that we're all familiar with, where it says, Go therefore into the other world and, and um, uh, baptize and teach them the commandments of the Lord. And when you go through that passage, it says, Teaching them to obey. So, so even in the Great Commission, the idea is... I guess we're in line maybe with discipleship. We're not just teaching them the commandments. We're teaching them how to obey them, teaching them how to follow them. That's what the mom and dad are supposed to be doing here throughout the scripture. They would do that by example, but they also would do that by teaching. So there's this very um, intimate involvement uh, with mom and dad. And that was, I think, um, one of the reasons why James Dobson became popular was because we had moved, just in general, in our country, we had moved in a direction where parents were less involved with their children. You know, the idea that children should be seen and not heard, you know, and there were some who did kind of take that to the extreme, but there wasn't always an emphasis on the relationship that the parents were to have with the children. Um, in fact, in, in some cases, it became more and more a case where it, uh, the relationship was good as long as the child performed whether it was get good grades, do well in the athletic field, uh, whatever it happened to be, they, if they would bring pride to the family, then the relationship would be good. If they brought shame to the family, then they were cut off. Uh, and that's not what the scripture tells us that we are to do with those things. So that was a real positive thing that James Dobson did uh, with his books, with his radio show, and then the, the movement that kind of came out of, of what he was doing was to reestablish this idea that parents ought to have a relationship uh, with, their, with their children. Now, how that relationship goes sometimes can be a little rocky. Uh, some parents didn't quite really grasp, and you know, we've, we, we even notice this today, where some parents, are, again, are trying to be their child's buddy or be their friend, uh, like primarily that, and, and not understanding what a parent is. And so that can be problematic in a lot of ways in the life of, of the child. But the main thing um, is that this relationship really needs to be stressed. And let me just kind of throw this out. I'll probably say it again as we work through this passage this week and next week, and that is this, is that um, there's more than one way to parent. When I say that, what I, what I mean is this. Um, I, I would probably be considered a, maybe a fairly strict disciplinarian when I was raising my kids. I'm not saying that's the only way to raise your kids. 
You know, there's a lot of wiggle room in there for that. But there must be a consistency with mom and dad when it comes to the kids. And there needs to be an insistence. And the insistence has to be they must obey mom and dad. There's no wiggle room when it comes to that. That sets the tone for their entire life. That sets the tone for their relationship with the Lord. That sets their tone for their relationship with other people, with authority. That insistence. So whether one family may use a lot of spankings and another family may not use a lot of spankings, and we, have all, we all have our opinions on that, the key is, is that there has to be a consistency with that. So even if I disagree, if I'm watching someone discipline their kids and I disagree with everything they're doing, if they're consistent, I, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to put them down for that. Because uh, no matter what type of discipline we use, if we're inconsistent, that's a problem. And that's worse than whatever, whatever else it is that we're doing. Let me, let me go on. Proverbs chapter 30. Well, let me, let me go Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Proverbs chapter 30. There is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. Uh, and then further down, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out. And the young eagles will eat it. Uh, so basically the idea there is that the body will lie unburied and the, and the birds will feed on it. And then Colossians chapter 3 verse 20. Again, children, be obedient. Uh, that is a present imperative. That means that they are to, it's a command and they are to continually be doing that. So children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing. So the idea of well-pleasing to the Lord is that they will receive an extraordinary that this is extraordinarily pleasing. It, it kind of goes against nature. It goes against our sin nature. It goes against our culture. Uh, but here the idea is that children are to be obedient to their parents, period. So as you read also through the scripture, and this, this crops up primarily in Romans 1 as being the most famous, that disobedience to parents is a symptom of a disintegrating and decaying society. It's always that. When you go through that list, uh, there, when you start with chapter, um, uh, chapter uh, 1 of Romans and you start in verse 18, and it begins to go through this idea that man is without excuse. And there's basically three segments in Romans chapter 1. And you come to the end of each segment because, and you recognize it because it says, and so God turned them over or God gave them over. That's used three times. So each time you find that phrase, uh, that's the end of each of these three sections. And in those sections, you always have a list of things that people are doing. You know, uh, man is, does not want to retain the knowledge of God in his mind, and so then God turned them over, and, they, and it goes to a long list of things that they do. So in the midst of, of the longest list that's there in Romans, you do have a lot of sexual sins that are listed, but in that group is also being disobedient to parents. Now, I don't think that the listing in Romans 1 is a listing of bad to worse or vice versa. I don't, there's no way I, that I think anyone can make uh, an argument from the context that there's any particular order to, to the listing of sins that people get involved in as a result of, of turning against the Lord and not retaining the knowledge of God in their mind. But what that also means, though, I think, is that those sins are, are viewed, they're all weighty sins. One is not necessarily worse than the other. That would then mean that when you have all these sexual sins that we normally think of as being really pretty bad, disobedience to parents is right there in that list. So we need to take that very seriously. Uh, and there are parents um, at times who they don't take that seriously enough. Now, you may have kids who are already grown, but remember that as Christians, you know, we're called upon by God at times to help those who are younger believers. 
And you may be in a position where, whether it's your own child and they're, and they're having difficulties with their children, or maybe someone that you meet in church who's never had a Christian family. There's no example for them to follow. They don't know necessarily what the scripture says they should be doing with their children, and you may need to step in and help them. doesn't mean that you're scolding them, but you do want to be able to give them good, solid biblical advice, and you want to keep it simple for them, and you can help them along the way, but one of those things is they need to recognize the responsibility that God has given to them as parents and take that very seriously. And what that entails, part of that, is not only a developing of a relationship, a parent relationship with their children, and that would include, obviously, the teaching them about God and who God is and why we need to obey God and those kinds of things, but that also includes discipline and what discipline should look like and, and why it's important to be consistent. All those things are there. And you may not be familiar with all the psychological observations and studies that people have made as to how certain behaviors in families can affect kids now or, and or long term, but God is telling us pretty succinctly what it is we need to do when it comes to this passage here in Ephesians. There's not a whole lot of gray area. In fact, there's no gray area at all. It's just very, very straightforward. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the basis. That's the foundation. That is enough for us to go on. We don't have to have all these other ideas in our mind as to why uh, that's important. It is because God said. Now, God does say things for particular reasons, and we do want to teach our children that we want to do what God says because it is what's best for us. You know, it's not that God's a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want us to have any freedom or fun. That's not what it is at all. Uh, and, we, and we want to take away the stigma of obedience. Uh, because even in our culture today, obedience is viewed as being demeaning. Uh, we, we're not consistent with that, but we're fairly consistent with that. That whenever anyone has to submit, when we talk about submission, we talk about obedience, that's viewed as being um, demeaning to the individual who is being called upon to obey. And so as a result of that, people kind of, they resist that. And when it comes to our children, the idea of, in our society, even the idea of a parent demanding that their child obey them, our society pretty much as a whole looks down on that. And there's pressure that's exerted on us, uh, often through mocking, um, through various looks that people will give us, through various types of statements people make. Uh, and then, of course, the celebrities and the statements that they will make about child-rearing. Uh, and there's this, this push. It's not a, an organized push. It's unintentional, but it takes place, where a celebrity may be interviewed on a TV program, and the individual say, well, I heard you have some kids now. Oh, yes, I have some kids. And uh, they say, so, you know, so tell us, you know, how, how are you parenting them? And so you may have an individual say, well, you know, I want my children to think for themselves. And so I pretty much let them do what they want. And that if I think there's danger, I warn them and then we discuss it. And I want to find out if they have any reasons as to why they want to go ahead and like, yeah, okay. Uh, that's not going to bode well for you when they turn 14, um, when you want to put your foot down and say you can't do certain things. Uh, and, but what will happen is, is that when they make these generalized statements, then the audience may applaud or like, yeah, well, you know, that communicates very strongly to those who are watching the TV. There's a message that's being delivered. That message is being delivered on a regular basis. 
And so we end up being the voice in the wilderness, so to speak, crying out for there to be obedience. And, and that's being viewed in a very negative way. And so we have to you know, combat that on a regular basis. That's why it's also important for us as parents at times to let our children know or it may be emphasized to our children that we also have to obey. We have to obey God. We have to obey certain authorities. This is why. Uh, you know, that, we have to be a model of that for them. So they understand then that um, obedience is not this demeaning thing that our society says it is. So again, we need to remember that disobedience to parents is a symptom uh, of, of a disintegrating society, of a decaying society. And Christian families, we have a distinct responsibility to not contribute to the collapse of our community. Um, and so uh, we need to make sure we keep that in mind. The word obey that's used here in this passage literally means to listen under with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. So it involves all those things. The idea is to listen it affects, there's also attitude, is to, to listen positively. And then thirdly, there's the action, which is then to invoke or, or to do those things that are being required. All of that is necessary. All of that is what is meant by the word obedience. So you really, you really shouldn't have reluctant obedience. There's a time when reluctant obedience, it, well actually I think reluctant obedience always needs to be dealt with. Maybe not the same way, but reluctant obedience is not good enough. We don't want our children only to reluctantly obey us. We know in the mood that people have that there are times when our children will obey us reluctantly. And there may be times that we actually may have to praise them for that. Say, I know you didn't feel like doing that. And I know you go, kind of go through all those things, but you still did what was right. And that, and, and that was great. And then there'll be another time when you have to say, oh, oh, by the way, I want to add some things to that. And even though I praised you, I also want you to know that, that God wants the same thing from me. He doesn't want us to reluctantly obey. We have to continue to change uh, so that that part of us is, is changed. So we, you know, there's a lot of things for us to kind of keep in mind when it comes to our children, the way that we raise our children, the way that we discipline our children, and what it is that we're teaching our children. So the word obedience, again, implies an inward attitude of respect and honor, as well as external acts of obedience. So sometimes, I've, I've actually heard individuals say this, and you may have heard this as well. It's not like it's a really bad thing, but I do think that it's wrong. Uh, where advice is being given to parents, and the parent is told, never say to your child, you need to do such and such, and when they ask why, you should never say, because I told you so, I'm your dad. Well, sometimes that's exactly why they need to be doing it. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If that's the only thing you give, that may be a bad thing, because we do want to teach our children why it is we want them to obey us. But not every time we give them something to do is that time for the lecture. Because sometimes they may understand you like to give a lecture. And so if they can resist your command long enough, when by the time you get done with the, with the lecture, they don't have to do what you said because it's late. Kids are smart. They can figure things out quick. So you've got to be smarter than they are. <laughs> or more clever than they are. Um, it is important for us to remember that when it comes to Genesis chapter 22, Isaac was willing to allow himself to be offered as a sacrifice. That was a model of submission. Yes, I know that in our day and age, it seems unbelievably um, extreme. But obedience is obedience. Now, that, that puts pressure on us to make sure that we're, we're giving our kids the right things to do and that we have the right attitude uh, when it comes to how we express ourselves to our children. 
but that's, that's not really as extreme as, as it can seem. Uh, the non-believing world will certainly freak out when it comes to that story, and they do. Uh, they're not going to get it. It's, sometimes it's difficult for us to think about that because we, if you're a believer and you're growing in Christ, remember that we are always approaching the Bible through a paradigm that's much different than everybody else's. God has changed and is changing our heart and our mind. We do now think differently than we did a year ago, and we think even more differently than we did five years ago. And so some of these stories, which may be shocking to the non-believer, they don't shock us at all because we're kind of, we're tracking. You know, we, we, we got this. And so we understand what's taking place uh, with, uh, with these stories and what's going on. So again, in short, the picture of obedience is that of placing oneself under what has been heard and therefore submitting to and obeying it. And then, of course, we've already kind of touched on this, but the phrase, in the Lord, um, You'll find some arguments in, in certain commentaries that not all the Greek manuscripts have that phrase in the Lord, um, but it is in a majority of them, and I think that it's, it, it should be there. Uh, but the idea is, is that the quality of obedience um, uh, is described as really, uh, in the Lord means you're doing it for the sake of Christ. Uh, and that's important because sometimes you may be asked by an individual, well, my parents sometimes are unfair. Do I still have to obey them? Yes. Because this is to the Lord. This is in honor of Christ you are doing this. Now, some individuals will raise the extreme issue. Well, what if mom and dad ask you to do something that violates the scripture? Well, that's very rare. If they do that, then don't do it. But most of the time, that, that doesn't happen. Now, but remember now, it has happened in some cases. I've, I've met families like this. I've met individuals where, you know, a, a mom uh, and a dad, they're teaching their children their criminal trade. And so they're getting them to come, go along with what they're doing. And every now and then, one of those individuals might become a believer. And now we've got some issues going on. But in most cases, that is not what the issue happens to be. And so there will always will be times that mom and dad may ask their children to do something the child just doesn't want to do, or the child feels like mom and dad are being unfair, whatever the case may happen to be. But, but the obedience that we owe them is to Christ. For the sake of Christ, I am to do this. And allow Christ to take care of whatever those issues are. That's, that's again, living by faith. Living by faith is not only doing what the Lord says because the Lord said it, but what's, what's involved with that is that you're trusting in the Lord to work that out in a way that honors God and is in your favor. Now, I don't know how that's going to be. We have to be careful that we're not giving the wrong impression. But there is very much that idea that they need to obey their parents and honor their parents because that is what Christ has commanded. It's, it's their uh, obedience to the Lord. And so we need to make sure that we emphasize that. And so there's not going to be a conflict then. Uh, we should never have, in our in our church we should never have a non-believing parent be able to at least honestly say that we've caused their child to be disrespectful to them that should never be the case it, it should be something they're making up or the child is just rebelling but it's never that we're never teaching that uh, we're teaching the opposite to, to, for them to be obedient to be respectful all those things there are some situations in families where it can be pretty rough maybe uh, mom and dad if there is a, both parents involved sometimes it's usually uh, oftentimes there's only one 
but sometimes the, uh, the parent may put a lot of responsibility on the oldest child. They're 12 years old, and they're being expected to act like an adult, you know, to cook for the others, to clean the others, to care for them because mom or whoever's going to be out. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, that's, that's not right. I, I, I can't do all those things. We have to be very careful how we handle that. Again, we want them to continue to, uh, they need to obey their parents. And they need, you know, we need to pray for them. We need to pray that the Lord will step in and work things out for them, whatever that's going to look like. Uh, we have to be careful that we're not predetermining what we think it's supposed to look like. Um, uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're not encouraging them somehow uh, to disobey their parents, even when their parents are putting maybe some unreasonable expectations on them and, and how they should be living their life. You know, we might be thinking, well, they don't even have a childhood. Well, you're right, they may not. But that's still not a reason for them to disobey their parents. You know, they, if they are believers... They need to do what the Lord says. If they're not believers, they still need to do what their parents say, unless it violates what the Scripture says. So there are some things where it can be very, very difficult. Um, you know, there's not there's some things that aren't easy, but we want to stick with what the Scripture says and actually believe what the Lord says. Believe uh, that He is going to be actively involved in the lives of those that we pray for and those that we are talking to and those that we are teaching. Sometimes in these situations, our faith really is what's going to be put to the test. Uh, and what I mean by that, again, is that you know, we claim that we believe everything in the Bible. And we normally think that we do. But when it gets down to God interfering in the life of that child this week, sometimes we really doubt God's going to do that. Now, I'm not saying what that's going to look like. But if we're already doubting that God's really going to intervene, uh, there's really, there may not be much purpose in praying because you don't really think that God either cares or that he has the power to do whatever needs to be done. And, and I think we need to pray in faith. There needs to be a sense of expectation. I want to see how God's going to work this out. Not only when is he going to work it, I want to see how it's going to happen. And it's amazing the kinds of things that can take place. And sometimes there may not be any deliverance in what we see, but what you may end up observing is a radical transformation in just the way that person begins to think and act. And so what happens is the way that God is delivering them is he's changing them. They are growing up much more rapidly, and, and they may end up being a better parent than their parent. They're there maybe for the physical salvation of their siblings. If they weren't there, the others would be in great danger. So there's more to sometimes what's going on with just that one child maybe that we're dealing with. And we want to stick with what the scripture says uh, and not start trying to come up with ways to excuse um, or come up with exceptions to what's being stated here. So let me get back to, the, to, the, to one of the basic premises, and that is this. Um, if parents do not raise their children insisting that they, their children, obey them, then they, the parents, sin against God and the command of God. That's important. In this day and age where, again, there's this push to be your child's friend, uh, in the day and age where the parental authority is constantly being challenged and there are, people are trying to find ways to diminish that, if we then go along with the culture and we're not insisting that our children obey us, we are, I believe, we are sinning, we're going against the direct command of God. We're sinning against God. Now, as I said before, that there's many ways 
for that to be enacted with our children. And, and parents should be those who understand their children, they understand their personalities. Uh, all those other factors come into play. But there's always that one standard. That, that is a point that is, cannot be argued or questioned. We must insist they obey. And that begins, and that begins when they're young. You, you will have much less problems in the future. And when I say that, you know, it's not that you're necessarily going to have a robotically obedient child at 14. That, that's not the goal. But not only will you have a compliant child at 14, I think that as they grow up, what, what's affected is going to be their maturity, the way they think, the way they approach life. And so when we talk about things being better when when, compared maybe to others their age at, at age 14, we're not just thinking of somehow mom and dad want a peaceful night, a night and we just tell our kids just to do something and they do it. We, we do want that obedience, but there's more than just that. You know, there, we want term I like to use, except now I found out that a lot of uh, people in philosophy are using the term, so maybe I should stop using it. But the idea is, is that we really, really want, we really want our child to flourish. We want them to flourish as an individual. We want their personality to develop, their gifts to be developed, their walk with the Lord to develop. We want all those things to happen. And that begins with our consistency when they're infants and how we raise them, and how we care for them, and how we interact with them. And then along the way, because I know we are going to make mistakes, there needs to be that consistency where they, we, we ask them to forgive us. Uh, we don't really do that very often as parents, and that's, in the case you haven't done it, that's hard to do. It's very difficult to do. At least I found it really hard to do. It. <clears throat> uh, to, but, the, but the idea is, is that when we need to, we need to make sure that we ask them to forgive us. And then explain to them why. That, well, you know, I, I not give an excuse you know, I blew it, this is what I did, and this is wrong, and it is inexcusable. It's not, well, I know I yelled at you today, but man, it just, daddy's really, really tired from work. Okay, we need to stop doing that. Because what we're doing is we're teaching our children that there are other factors that excuse our sinful responses. That's not right. We're Christians. It may be true that you're under a lot of pressure at work, that may be absolutely true, but that is not a justifying reason for you and I to, whether it's lose our temper, become impatient, or what have you. So it's a very real factor. It really is affecting us that way. Still no excuse, because we're Christians. And we need to, we continue, we need to continue to mature beyond that, beyond being affected by those types of things. And we want to pass that on to our children. So again, it's very important that as parents, we do not... Uh, raise our children, that we do raise our children, and we must insist that they obey. And if we don't do that, then we are sinning against God and the command of God. And again, it doesn't matter what your reasoning is. It doesn't matter if you think your child is turning out well. This must be done. It's really, really important. Christian parents uh, are to require obedience of their children. Um, and as I said before, the key word, I guess, or key words would be consistency with discipline and an insistence on obedience. Too often what happens is, is we see cases where children don't really pay a lot of attention to their, par- to, their, to their parents. Sometimes a parent would tell their child two or three times to stop doing something or to sit. And then maybe after the third time or the fourth time of disobedience, maybe they bribe the child. All those things are just bad ideas. Uh, we want our children to obey us instantly. Again, we're not asking for blind obedience. 
We're not asking for our children to, to not think for themselves. In fact, as Christian parents, we'll be teaching our children to think for themselves. But they also want to, we want them to understand the uh, hierarchy of order that God has established. Because as for you and I, we know that there are times, for example, sometimes, sometimes a person may say, well, wait a minute, Bob, so are you telling me that there's times that you maybe believe something even though you don't really understand it? Yeah, it happens all the time. I don't understand the Trinity, but I believe it. The Scripture clearly teaches the Trinity. It's clear on that. I, I have a little better grasp now than 20 years ago, but I've not grasped it. And from those that I respect, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to grasp it. But I absolutely believe that. God doesn't owe us an explanation for anything. Bad things happen to us. We would like to know why God perhaps has allowed certain things to happen. But you and I also know that maybe it's often there is no explanation coming. He doesn't give us one. We're trusting. And that's where that relationship comes in. And so uh, that's why we want to continue to develop a good close, proper, intimate relationship with our child. You can have a very close relationship with your child. You can have an intimate relationship with your child and not be their buddy. It could be a parent-child relationship and you can be very close. So there's nothing wrong with this yearning for that. We, we should want to have that. But at the same time, there's always a line. Right? We're, you, one person's always the parent. It's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. Uh, and there are unfortunate situations and Maybe you've seen this, where as children grow, they end up becoming much more mature than their parents. That's tough. <laughs> because now, you know, they're, they're the ones that are more mature, and you don't want them correcting their parents, even though they might be right in everything they say. And so that comes back to how we are to honor them. Uh, but again, what we rest on is that as we do this, we're doing it for the sake of Christ, and that honors the Lord. And we want to make sure that uh, we're doing that right thing. I have a list of things that we are not going to be able to go through, um, really any of them. Um, we'll do that next time. It's not a list that is original with me. There are several different uh, books and writers and authors uh, that kind of go through uh, some, I guess, you, I guess I would call it eight main points. Uh, dealing with this and having a good understanding of why Paul said these things here in Ephesians. So we will deal with them uh, next week when we get together. Uh, so there'll be a slight review, but not much. Uh, but again, it's important for us to grasp this because this is foundational for um, a, a, uh, an individual's uh, uh, life. It is foundational for a healthy and a happy family. It is foundational for a healthy church. It is foundational for a healthy community. And it's foundational for a healthy nation. And so this is not just some you know, odd thing, or, well, I don't have kids, so I don't need to know this. None of that's true. God's preserved all of this for all of us, regardless of where we are in life. And we need to know these things and understand these things, and we'll be the better for it. Uh, and uh, it will help us then in being able to give the right kind of advice and to live in the right kind of way. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful for your kindness and for the instruction you give to us from your word. Father, in some very simple, short phrases in, in the verses we looked at tonight, there are some very strong and implicit uh, statements that are made. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about those things and realize, Lord, that these, that these concise and clearly worded phrases are for our benefit. And that the one who has created us as individuals, the one who has created our families, 
the one who has brought families together to create communities and nations, the one who has all wisdom and all knowledge is the one who is making these statements. And so we pray, Lord, that we would give them their just due, that we would think of them as we ought to. We thank you, Father, for your great patience with us. We thank you, Lord, for being the perfect parent. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to continue to mature as believers, to grow in our understanding, in some cases, acceptance and understanding of your word. So, Father, we thank you. Give us opportunities, Father, to be able to share those things that we learn with others for their benefit and for their profit. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.